All right, everybody, welcome back to the CrossFit Rife podcast, where we talk about the pursuit of fitness and health via CrossFit. I am here with uh, a pretty special guy, uh, in my opinion. He's got a really kind of, um, dare I say, amazing story, and um, we've we've put his story on our social media platforms before. And uh, but Jake's story is unique in some sense of like where he started and where he's at now and where he's going. Uh, but I'm here with Mr. Jake Brown, uh, who started as a member and is now one of the staff, one of the team, bro. So welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Happy to um, be here. Yeah. So if you know, first and foremost, if 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 you really want to get uh, you know kind of a visual representation of Jake's story, uh, you can go check our Facebook page at CrossFitRife.com, and it's also on our YouTube channel at CrossFitRife, uh, and it's just Jake's story, and it's just a pretty, um, it's a pretty awesome story of uh, you know uh, perseverance and triumph over some uh, pretty devastating stuff. So, and and we will get into that in depth, or as in depth as Jake wants to get on that. So. <laughs> Um, but he, he's already told the story and he's, he's, he and I've talked about it at length on numerous occasions. And I just think it's, uh, it's a testament to, you know, the infinite scalability of CrossFit, what CrossFit can do prior to something catastrophic happening. But then the journey back is important too, because I think that's the journey back is probably a little bit more relevant to regular people. So, um, but before we get into that, uh, you know, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, Jake, you know, like. Let's go back. Let's go way back. So how far back? Uh, talking second grade or high yeah, school? I mean, like, <laughs> what's what's the what are the what's the uh, you know what's the interesting parts of your life? You know, like, how did you you know? So obviously, you did some time in the Navy, but let's talk about before that. Like, how did what did what did your life look like leading up to that? Uh, so before the Navy, um, my focus in high school was uh, television and video production. Uh, I enjoyed a lot of that. I enjoyed the technical aspects of it. Um, dad was in the Navy, so I came from a military family. My sister was in the Navy. My I didn't know your sister's in the Navy. Yeah, she uh, flew. Uh, she's the backseater in F-18s. She uh, went through test pilot school around the time that I got hurt. Uh, she was stationed here at Oceana, and she went out to China Lake, and now she's back in Maryland near my parents' house at Pax River. Pax River? Yep. Okay, cool. And your dad was a pilot too, right? Uh, NFO, backseater. Yeah, uh, I mean, side seat same, thing, backseat, same thing. Same thing. Sorry, they pilots. Flying, so. Sorry, pilots. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, is, so sh- is she still in the Navy? She is, yeah. Okay, she's still cool. Active duty. I did not know that. Um, okay, cool. All right. So, uh, long military history in my family. Um, uncles, aunts, uh, great uncles, my dad's dad. Um, so, I've, it's always been in my life growing up and that... Uh, that desire to serve um has kind of always been there um after high school i i kind of toyed around with the idea of going into the navy and and i didn't know if i wanted to be a navy diver or if i wanted to potentially go to buds or what i really wanted to do and i didn't even know about eod until i walked into the recruiter's office oh the recruiter's office I fortunately got to skip that whole rigmarole, but man, I have heard some stories about just people just getting the the once over on that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's going to be a great life, man. You're (laughs) going to do all this stuff. Uh, Looks like you got chosen for CS rates. You're going to be a cook, my friend. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. Well, thankfully, you know, uh, dad being active duty at the time, uh, he ended up coming in at a later date, speaking with me, speaking with the recruiter, and just having a... uh, a very upfront conversation about how my contract looked and what I was going to be doing. Um, so I, 
thankfully I didn't have to deal with that too much, and I'm still thankful for that because I'm actually still Facebook friends with uh, my recruiter. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I bet there's a lot of people that are not still friends I, with I, the recruiter. I would imagine so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the uh, stories I heard when I was in, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, so uh, so obviously you're into some of the techie stuff mm-hmm. growing up in high school. Absolutely. Uh, so, But what about like fitness? Did you play any sports or anything like that? Uh, I swam competitively. Um, that started when I was five or six years old. Um, it was something that my sister and I could both do uh, for the summers. And then... What did you swim? Like what distances or strokes? Oh, at that age, like everything meters. Um, I love the butterfly, even if it was do two strokes, hang on the lane line, do two strokes, hang on the lane line. You know, I'm, I'm five or six years old. I'm just learning to swim and yeah. get good. But like 25 meters was... That was the whole race, and that, that might have been the the entire night for Ten me. minutes for a bunch of four-year-olds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they made it. <laughs> yeah. uh, boy, did you end up swimming. Like, once you got to be a little bit more competitive, like, what was your uh, what Middle was your school, high school, uh, I kept going. Uh, butterfly continued to be my stroke as well as backstroke. And then, uh, is that why you have that crazy shoulder mobility, bro? Yeah, it is, okay, actually. got it. Both of those strokes. It's, it's um, offensive. And then, the for we- a weird reason, the 500-meter the free. Um <laughs> I was never a good sprinter in the short 50-meter distance, just being a short guy. Yeah. But I could hold that pace for the whole 500. What's a, What was a competitive – or what is a competitive 500-meter free time? Um, like sub five minutes. Flip side, I was going to say sub yeah. five probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's fast. Yeah. <laughs> I spent a, you know, I was a rescue swimmer in the Navy, but I didn't, I, I was in the water growing up, but not competitively. Like I was all field sports. Right. And, right. but then when I got into, you know, when I was at the point when I was training, tried to go to buds and stuff like that, that, that obviously didn't work out. But when I started trying to swim hard, yeah, I was like, man, it's I tough. S- I am sucky at this. <laughs> like, and then I got a lot more proficient with it, but a lot of that was was like side stroke so it was kind of like oh yeah that was uh you know a fast side stroke time is like sub eight for 500 oh yeah absolutely um but yeah i mean i would get in the pool with guys who would just burn up 500 free yeah with, you know? without a problem yeah just. like swimmers at the naval academy i'm just like you guys are <laughs> cheating bro you guys are not fair. um okay so then swam all the way through high school or yep. okay yep, all and four then years of high school. and then from high school what happened uh, I took a year off. I uh, didn't know if I wanted to go to college right away. Well, I knew I didn't go to, want to go to college right away, uh, so I took the year off to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't want to go to college and end up partying like the first year away, uh, like I knew all my friends. So would. you're the opposite of every other person <laughs> that went to college. I didn't okay. want to go and party. Yeah. Got um, it weirdo i know i know um apparently i didn't either i went to prep school which is the exact opposite (laughs) it's like being in prison so uh so so similar um but yeah so during that time off though i realized that college probably wasn't for me after watching all of my friends go and uh just what they were talking about what they were complaining about and what they what about it wasn't for you though um i don't know i don't think i honestly don't think i was uh mature enough at that point in my life to go for a degree program and have multiple classes a day that were on me to get there to go to those classes to study for those tests i think there's a lot of people that are (laughs) really kind of second guessing their decisions at that point i didn't know being (laughs) mature was part of going to college uh i was definitely not mature and i went to like a pretty rigorous academic institution and they just beat maturity into you basically there so yeah. yeah 
you know, or or something yeah. that resembles it. So yeah. Okay. So you took a year off, yeah. and then that's when you're like, hey, I think I want to join the Navy. Yeah, uh, I started talking to Dad about it, and then very soon after, started talking to the recruiters. Um, at the time, uh, EOD was pretty backed up. They were in high demand, um, and I ended up sitting at home for 10 months waiting to join the Navy, waiting for a contract slot to open for me. And are you training at this time? What are you doing? Yeah, at the time, um, so I was I was doing PSCs, the, the swim, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, and the run, uh, and then doing that in reverse as well, which I would recommend to anybody, even considering one of those uh, programs. Um, and that's actually the summer that I discovered CrossFit. Um, it was through a, a friend of a friend, I was lifeguarding at the pool part-time, and he came by, and he was doing a deck of cards with pull-ups, push-ups, air squats, and I think... Kind of like the hopper, just like pulling stuff out and doing those rep schemes. Yeah, going through, going through, and I was watching him do it, and I couldn't figure out what he was doing rep scheme-wise because of counting, and I'm like, well, he just did two, and he did eight, then he did six. Like, what's the the plan here? What's he doing? And uh, he finally came in, took a shower, got in the pool, and afterwards I asked him, I was like, hey, what what workout were you doing? Like, what was the, what was the goal there? And he explained the deck of cards. He started talking about CrossFit. And so I started picking his brain a little bit and then went home and just started reading as much as I could about CrossFit. And so what year is this? This was the summer of 2009. Okay. So you're, you're like a, 09. you know, probably less than a year after I found it. Right. Just yeah. randomly. Okay. okay. So, I mean, you've been in it for a hot minute, almost 10 years. Yeah. Okay. And then at this point, are you just kind of dabbling? Are you doing mostly body weight stuff or what's kind of going on there? Like what is your, what is your entry to CrossFit look like at this point? So my entry to CrossFit was a uh, main site and then just following that every day and then doing the PSTs basically on my rest days. I remember <laughs> the, when I kind of first started CrossFit, when one of the coaches asked me like, oh, do you follow main site? And I was just. I didn't know what else to say, so it's just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course we do. I'm oh, like, of course, yeah. I'm like, what the fuck is main site? I'm like, uh, what's this main site that everybody is talking about? Yeah. Uh, and it's funny to hear people use that terminology right now, but I remember when I heard it the first time, I was like, uh, I mean, to sound cool, I will say yes, yes. that I know what you're talking <laughs> of about. Of course. Uh, but I'm clearly not in the loop on what that is. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, so main site in 2009, I mean, that's like – that's pretty OG as far as like true blue simple. CrossFit. Yeah, the website wasn't flashy. You know, it was it was basically a blog. It yeah, I mean they held that blog. I mean they held that website until two years ago. Yeah. So like sixteen maybe. Yeah. I mean that website like it was old Absolutely. in two thousand sixteen. Oh yeah. Um, it's like old school WordPress. Yeah. Okay. But of course, my uh, un- all of this was supported by you know I came home and started talking to my dad about it, and my sister was in the Navy at the time, and uh, at some point I mentioned it to her, and she said, "Oh yeah, all the guys I know from college that were trying to go to Buds or EOD or whatever, like that's what they were doing to prep." And I went, "Okay, yep, this is exactly where I need to be. This is what I need to be doing." And what is she? Is she how much older than you? Is she uh, four years? So she's already in the Navy at this point? Yeah, so she... Or is she in college, like, finishing, like, uh, OCS or ROTC so or something like that? She's in the Navy at this point. So she's four years ahead of me, but she's five years in school, school. ahead of me. Okay, yeah. so she's one year into the Navy, basically, yeah. probably, yeah. so ensign land. Yeah. Okay. so she'd done, you know, ROTC at Penn State. She's in probably flight school. Yeah, I think she was. I think she was in Pensacola at flight school. Okay. Knew some, knew some of the swimmers, and then um, guys that were in ROTC with her that were trying for 
buds contracts or yeah. EOD contracts or okay. rescue summer contracts. Like that's that's what they were doing. So. Yeah, that's a pretty common story, I think, just as far as like people trying to get into that that track specifically at that time. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. at that time frame yeah. when it was still a little bit underground. Mm -hmm. It was kind of only the spec ops community and the people that knew somebody in that realm absolutely, or like yeah. the fight, like fighting, like oh, yeah. you know, mix MMA. Mm -hmm. Those guys had kind of dabbled in it too. Yeah. Everybody um, else was still stuck in the let's go run on the treadmill for six miles and beat ourselves up. Like, and then what was your? I mean, I very vividly remember my first CrossFit workout. It was devastating. Um, but do you kind of remember that? What that was like when you kind of like stepped into the CrossFit world? Like, what what was that experience like? Oh, my first workout was the deck of cards. I did it that same day as the guy who introduced me to it. And um, how did it go? Oh, it was awful. Absolutely awful. <laughs> I learned real quick how bad I was at pull-ups, how bad I was at air squats. Um, Push-ups were okay just because I'd been working on them so hard. Yeah. But pull-ups were seriously lacking, and I knew that was a big part of the PST. So yeah. I realized that I had some deficits in, in my training and that – I wasn't training bare minimum, but I wasn't doing enough pull-up volume to get good at them. And what, like, what's a, at this point, like, what does one set of pull-ups look like for you? Uh, like five? Strict dead hang. Well, six was the minimum, so strict dead hang, I was doing probably eight or nine. Okay. So you start doing CrossFit, and we're, are you doing CrossFit for about a year before you kind of pick up a contract? And in this time, are you doing PSTs regularly? Because I think you have to do them. I you do have to have one within like a month of your contract, right? Yeah, I had to do I had to do a PST once a month for ten months. That's terrible. It was awful. Okay. Every one of them's time. For those of you that don't know what a PST is, it is it's kind of like the Navy PRT, but with a swim and pull-ups added to it. Yep. So it's two minutes of push-ups, two minutes of sit-ups. It's a 500 meter swim. At that point, it's stroke of your choice, correct? Uh. No, it's, uh, I think it had to be side stroke. No, it had to be yeah, it had to be side stroke. Side stroke. stroke? Okay, yeah. so you have to side stroke it or breast stroke. Those were the two options. Got it. That's low, right. Low yeah, splash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Low profile in the water. Yeah. And then the mile and a half run. Yep. So it goes in order. It goes swim, push up, sit ups, pull up, run. Yep. I believe is the yep. order. And then there, um, there's no gradient for age, so everybody has to do the same minimum. Yeah, because at that point, like everybody's like falls in the same bucket because yeah. you're trying out for a program Absolutely. so there's no yeah they're not really concerned about age yeah. okay so when you're testing and then you're doing crossfit while taking the sp these psts and then what are those psts scores look like as you're as you're now training crossfit um my so for the first couple psts my run times were close to the minimum i needed to get faster in the run um so about my fifth or sixth PST, I think, is about the time I started picking up CrossFit. And I watched my run times come down. Uh, Were you doing more or less running now um, when you're doing CrossFit? I was still doing PSTs. And then uh, just as a practice, basically. Um, you, always, you try to practice the test if you can, um, especially when they give you the grading criteria. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so I was probably doing a little less running because uh, I wasn't running unless it was on the workout of the day on those three days that I wasn't doing a practice PST. Got it. So, And the run times are coming down? Yeah, my run times ended up coming down. Um, nothing phenomenal. I ended up running a 10.30, but it was consistent. It didn't matter whether I just woke up, tired, just ran a two back-to-back -back PSTs. I was going to run a 10.30. Out. I think that the 10.30 was the minimum to graduate the Naval Academy, too, I believe. Might I think have been. If, yeah, yeah, I think if you ran like a 10.31, it was like, sorry for you. Yeah. And it's and I, you know I, I was, I've never been a fast runner. I've got short legs, but 
I could consistently do that regardless of what everything else is going on. So. Okay. Cool. And All right. So you basically wait for a year to pick yep. up a contract. Yep. Okay. You get a contract and then you get a boot camp. Same rigmarole yep. as everybody else. Boot camp's boot camp. Two months of losing weight and <laughs> losing muscle mass. Yeah. And, and, and being yelled at. And, yep. Getting yelled and at. then from there, you head off to not EOD school. No, uh, so our first step is a prep course that is at Great Lakes for about a month. Um, it's over on the non-boot camp side of Great Lakes. Got it. Um, so it's it's three weeks of just PT, super basically. basic dive physics, lots of PT, just to make sure that whoever's leaving there to go to Florida to go to dive school. It's not going to fail over some dumb stuff. Exactly, because they know coming out of boot camp, we are not in the same shape as we were when we went into boot camp. Yeah. Even though they give us pool PT four or five days a week, um, they know we're not coming out the same way we went in. So they give us time to kind of bounce back to that, get back strong again, get back running again, the mileage. That's an interesting That's an interesting little scenario to wrap your mind around if you think about that because obviously not everybody's going into some sort of spec ops community, but right. at the same time, you would think that boot camp would serve the purposes of getting people physically fit. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. You'd think that. <laughs> But that's not the case. Well, especially if guys are in really good shape. Um, if they're lifting a lot, if they're running a lot, if they're swimming a lot, when they go to boot camp, it's two months of deload, basically. Yeah. Where, like, hey, we're going to limit your caloric intake. We're going to make you run shorter distances at slower speeds. And if you're not in a spec ops boot camp, you're going to swim maybe twice in the entire two months you're there. The whole thing and is backwards. And you're never going to see weights. You're never going to go to an actual, like, strength training gym. Which everybody like should that. be doing. Absolutely. It's just funny that that whole process of like bringing people in and trying to make them fit is completely ass backwards. Yeah. Okay, so you go to prep. You have your, you know, you have your prep course, and mm -hmm. then from there you're off to get on a plane, go down to Panama City, get picked up by uh, our class officers. So first time meeting them, and uh, two guys, former academy grads. You know, one Tom Sauer, the other one. John oh yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So okay. Tom Sauer was my, uh, he was my Tom class LIC. Got dive school and then into EOD school. He ended up getting ahead of me in classes because I ended up rolling and falling back. But Got it. Yeah. Tom's too smart for his own good. <laughs> all right, cool. So let's fast forward a little bit. So you all make right. it through all that. Yep. And uh, graduate from EOD school. Uh, pretty. Into, I, think, I think most people don't understand. Obviously, that's very physically demanding, but I think people just have no concept of the schooling involved in oh in, yeah and if you don't know what eod is it's explosive ordnance disposal so that is the bomb techs not like the hurt locker we're talking about the navy real bomb techs um sorry army guys but <laughs> uh you know because i worked with those guys for for probably like almost four years but yeah um yeah bomb techs and and the navy's eod techs are are unique in their capabilities they they function across services yep. when they're the only ones that do that. So SF platoons yep. carry Navy EOD guys. Yep. SEAL platoons carry Navy EOD guys. And uh, you guys will also augment with Air Force occasionally. Just more kind of like joint stuff, I guess. But Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. I've seen that too. 
Okay. Uh, all right. So what's your where? So then you go from where you graduated school, and where's your first mobile unit? Uh, I had mobile unit six um, here at Little Creek. Is this, oh, okay. Yeah, say yeah. not. This is post Charleston. Yeah. Okay. When I when I think when I first picked orders for mobile unit six, I think the address was Charleston. I was real excited about it. And, like, and then I graduated, and they're like, "Hey, here's your orders," and it says Virginia, and I'm like, "No, no, no! Yeah, I said six. And they're like, "No, no, they moved." I'm like, "Ugh! All right, guess I'm going to Virginia anyway." We so. have beaches here, man. Oh yeah, it's so not bad, but it's not Charleston. It <laughs> grows on you. That's the way. <laughs> and I it has. It, it definitely has. It the grows last, on you. you. Know, eight years or whatever. <laughs> uh, we've been here fourteen. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So then, so that's your first mobile unit, and then in your mobile unit, are you still CrossFitting at this point? Yeah, uh, even more so. Um, so I honestly believe that CrossFit is what got me through EOD school. Um, so we had. Were you guys CrossFitting? kind of like officially in EOD school was it like part of the protocol uh no so at dive school there were two different instructor teams one of them was very pro crossfit and the other one was less so i lucked out and was on the training team that was very pro crossfit uh the first time i ever did fight gone bad was my third week at dive school and it was it was exactly what i thought it was going to be just awful great workout but just awful it's a fight gone bad um made it to EOD school and we have once a week pt on wednesday afternoon with the entire Navy staff and entire Navy student body, um, and it's and it became more functional as the you know year I was there went on. Uh, but when it first started, it was like, hey, we're gonna do a run, swim, run, and then the next week it'd be like, all right, we're gonna do you know basically a PST, just practice run, or we'll do it backwards or something, and then it became run, swim, run every other week, and then got it. They're like, all right, cool. So they set up the 15-foot ropes, and they got a Connex box with some barbells and some bumper plates. And like, okay, all right, this is getting a little bit more realistic and a little bit more friendly for everybody, mm-hmm. and everybody can do something. And um, But outside of that, I joined uh, CrossFit Fort Walton Beach uh, with Jordan and Jesse Bowen uh, back when it was. So you're at an affiliate at this point. Oh, absolutely. That's yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, That's super and cool. And I got, I got dragged to that. Um, just by asking the right people at EOD school who who goes where. Yeah. Um, and everybody's like, oh, go here, go to this gym. They're super military friendly. Uh, and Jesse, or sorry, Jordan was a PJ in the Air Force. Okay. Um, and he got out and wanted to open an affiliate and started doing that. At the time, he was level two, had some good level one coaches. and um, So I really started going three, four, five days What's a week. What's the name of that gym again? That was CrossFit Fort Walton Beach. Okay. Um, I think they're now Militia Fitness. They are. I've been there. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Because we, we did a, I did a level one at the schoolhouse. And we before we went there, we went and dropped in at, at, at Militia Fitness one time. It's a nice, big-ass okay. space. Yeah, It's a huge, absolutely. like probably 15,000 square feet open, yeah. open, open bay. Yeah. So I remember when they were in what – it was a bar – and then it, be, it was an affiliate for about a year, and then it went back to being a bar. So it was probably about as big as the uh, the space out there where the weightlifters are. I don't know. So 2,000 square feet probably? Maybe, yeah. yeah. So, so that's it was about tight. what that is. But we had, uh, you know, smaller classes, but as the clientele grew, we needed a bigger space. And yeah. we got the first warehouse, and it was great being there. And then I learned a lot uh, about CrossFit and the different ideologies, and, and I actually learned more about uh, – diet there than I had previously in CrossFit. Uh, it had never been really a big focus of mine, um, but once somebody started talking to me about it and I learned that it's not just calories in, calories out, and there's more to it than that, and then there's like... Yeah, oh, that doesn't like work. For anybody who's still going off that, it just does not work. The math yeah. doesn't work there. <laughs> so once I started learning about that, I went, oh, alright, so maybe I should pay a little bit more attention to what I'm putting in my mouth. And mm-hmm. It was weird. I started sleeping better, workouts started getting easier, my alarm clock wasn't as annoying when I woke up, I didn't have to snooze as much, get right up, 
grab some food, get out the door, get to um, – we had study hall for an hour first thing in the morning, break for breakfast, then class all day or out in the uh, practice pits all day. And then at the end of the day, I'd go back to my room, take a 30-minute nap, wake up, eat a salad, go to the gym, work out, come back to my room, have another – Midnight snack, basically. Oh, I thought you were going to say nap. I was like, God, I'm jealous no. right now. No, and then, then right to bed at like 8 p.m. So, <laughs> I mean, that's the life of training, though. Yeah, like, that, if you're going to train like year. seriously, like that's yeah. kind of what it needs to look like. Yeah. I think, I think one of the biggest things that most people, myself included, just underestimate is that sleep aspect of the whole thing. Like just oh, getting the appropriate amount of sleep is might be the biggest ROI of anything that you could possibly do. Yeah. Like good, legitimate REM sleep. Oh, not, absolutely. Not like I'm laying in bed. That's not sleeping. No, no. Um, yeah, it's I, I've I've had. I feel so much better when I when I when my sleep is on point. Yeah. And that me and that's generally like turning off the lights. You know, eating good. Like making sure that there's, you know, no ambient light, no blue lights in the room, stuff yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, okay, so you're at the mobile unit, and then what kind of platoon are you in the first? Uh, my first platoon was a mo uh, mobility platoon. So we, okay. were, uh, we were planning to support a route clearance package in Iraq. Okay. Um, but at the time, we didn't know if we were going to Iraq or Afghanistan uh, because Iraq was winding down, and we didn't know if we'd get pushed to the right and then go to Afghanistan or if we were leaving in December that year. Got it. Um, so October, November, they finally tell us, like, hey – uh, you're not going to Iraq, you're going to Afghanistan, you're leaving in May. So we had five months to do some pro dev, um, which is when I got to go to free fall school, mm -hmm. uh, as well as do some, uh, the TCCC. Um, so free fall is, uh, is jump school, for like parachutes and stuff like that. So there's static line, which you don't really have much control over. You just no. kind of, that's a con not really a controlled fall. No, no, that's you're, just you're a, at the jump master's Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's <laughs> just literally falling out of the sky. And then free fall is when you kind of have control of your own parachute and you get to pull and stuff on, on your own. But, yeah. okay. And then you said the TCCC, which is what? Oh, uh, that was... No, I knew you'd ask me that. Um, basically, <laughs> <laughs> uh, combat lifesaver, um, the pig labs, and then learning how to actually pack bullet wounds, deal with uh, amputees, Probably from guys that I've talked to have told me that that is by far the most, one of the most beneficial courses they've ever taken. Oh, absolutely. Hands down. That was the best two-day instruction I had in the entire time I was in. Because after that day, I knew that no matter what happened in Afghanistan, like, I was going to make it out, and whoever I was with was going to make it out. Like, there was nothing we saw that really wasn't treatable except yeah. you know getting ripped in half by yeah, explosive yeah, yeah. or something short of that we were going to be fine like gunshot wounds no you problem. would survive yeah exactly it wasn't yeah. going to be like uh black hawk down trying to grab the femoral artery and it slips e up inside and you watch yeah. your buddy bleed out like, that's just yeah so they're trying to move they're trying to keep that from happening by doing this training yeah teaching people like hey no and and for everybody that's not aware this training is like this is live tissue so sorry Peta, you guys are idiots but yeah exactly the this is where, like, you're working on a pig just because pig has it's very similar anatomy to human beings, yep. so it's a little bit more realistic, and uh, where you go in there and you basically, they will shoot a yep. pig that's sedated, Yep. and from there, they're just like, all right, it's yours. Yep. Go ahead and keep that thing alive, yep. so... They're not in pain. Yeah. Their heart rate's resting. Yeah. You know. And it's just, I've just, I've, uh, I've talked to more than a couple guys that have said that legitimately has saved dozens upon dozens of lives that course alone and that honestly probably helped save my life the day i crashed because 
the seven guys that it took to hold me down had all been through that course. Yeah. In one way or another, whether it was uh, through the SEAL program or EOD, mm-hmm. they'd all done combat first life, you know, combat saver, combat yeah. lifesaver, whatever it was. So, yeah. So let's talk about that. So we're fast forward. So, you know, <laughs> you do your deployments uh, because I think this is actually the important part of this story I that think so, I think yeah. is, is the most valuable uh, kind of takeaway of this whole thing. So, um, you're your post your first deployment. Yep. Right. And then you're doing training jumps. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Doing training jumps down Suffolk. Um, Which is just outside of Virginia Beach, if you don't know where that is. Yeah. And uh, so, and this is just to kind of keep proficiency up, right? So in the Navy, when you have different qualifications, you just have to keep your proficiency, meaning you have to jump, dive, or shoot on a periodic basis in yep. order to stay current on your qualifications. Yep. So... Yeah, what, I, was what, I didn't enjoy it, but yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, there's, you know, we have, I don't know, were you a jump queen? Were you just one of those people who's always trying to jump all the time? I mean, the weather was good. It was I my, mean. It was my first summer jumping. Got yeah, it. I, I was okay. about it. Yeah, fair enough. Absolutely. Fair enough. I spent I get six it. months in Afghanistan not being able to jump, thinking I've, about it, dreaming about it. That's like, fair. All right, let's that's get fair. back and do I've it. jumped a couple <laughs> times, and I, too, enjoy falling out of the sky. Uh, okay, so let's paint this picture. So kind of. Let's let's walk through that day and what that kind of as much as you can remember of that day. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. So, the three weeks leading up to that, I was at uh, Aces Isis out at Fort Pickett doing some shooting courses, um, and I didn't really get to jump the two weekends in between uh, when we came back to Virginia Beach for okay. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, so basically, I hadn't jumped in three or four weeks and it was getting the itch and it was getting cold and it's like, all right, it's gonna be like my last weekend of the uh, of the year. I'm going to take it off for the winter, get my reserves repacked, and then come back for uh, jumping in the spring. Um, so it was my plan last or second to last weekend, honestly. Um, I, I kind of regret it because when I got out there, the weather wasn't super great, and I should have just gone home. But I hadn't jumped in a couple weeks and wanted to get up in the air and, and keep jumping. Um, I eventually keep working towards... My C license, my D license, Tandem Master. Now, when like you're that. when you're making that decision, is this something? Is this are the conditions such that collectively you guys are having discussions about jumping, or uh, not necessarily? Uh, Does it fall outside of the parameters of safe jumping this day? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, we were still sending birds up all the way up to thirteen thousand. Um, the winds were just a little variable. That was the biggest problem. Got it. Is that it wasn't a, a strong, constant breeze out of one direction. It was kind of shifting at altitude, depending on how high you were in okay. the air. Um, and I think that's also part of the reason that uh, the parachute eventually collapsed. But so that day, I, I got up, um, left my house, and I remember this. I remember that day. I remember waking up. I remember packing my stuff in my truck. I remember driving to the drop zone. Uh, I remember getting out of my truck. I remember going inside. And I remember the three jumps I did before uh, the one that I crashed on. And the only reason I know I remember that is because my helmet cam survived. Um, and I ended up watching the videos from earlier that day, months later. And I realized that I remembered that day. Um, in my head, I had placed it like two or three or four weeks before. And I really thought I had no recollection of the day at all. Got it. But because of that video and because of conversations with friends, I realized that, no, like my amnesia was not as bad as we thought it was. So that probably not my TBI wasn't as bad as we thought it was. Um, But I remember that day. And then dad did some fancy computer work with the video that got cut, interrupted halfway through. um, And I was able to watch most of that video and go, okay, I do remember the jump I got hurt on. 
So the last thing. Do you have video of that jump? Yeah, I do. I don't All have video of, of the crash. Okay. No, the video cuts out, uh, and I'm at 700 feet above above the ground. So um, real fucking high. 700 feet. I'm I like, mean, listen. <laughs> I'm on my final approach. Yeah. I'm, I'm done making high crazy turns. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm setting up for my approach. Uh, and that's kind of about where my memory uh, stops. Um, my second turn at 600 feet is probably where the last thing I remember is, at least vividly. Um, Do you remember when that went wrong? Uh, it had to have gone wrong right at my final turn at 300 feet. Okay. Um, so I'd planned out on the map, uh, in the blow-up map of the drop zone, where my turn at 300, 600, and 900 feet were so that I could land on an X. Yeah. Uh, basically, I was trying to get more proficient at landing at the exact same spot where I wanted to every time. Got it. Not just wherever, yeah, wherever I land on the grass is fine. No, like wherever I was trying the wind to get takes accurate. Me. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so because of that, I knew what my plan was and where I ended up landing on the ground and making quite the divot in the grass was right above my 300-foot turn point. Got it. So with the white light and variable winds that we had that day, I think that when I was making that final turn with my left riser uh, and left toggle, um, the parachute has to keep moving forward to remain inflated. And I think there was just some dead air uh, combined with me collapsing it partially to make the turn, which is what you have to do to turn. Um, completely deflated the left side, and the right side wasn't enough to keep me up. And I ended up just coming straight down. So for those of you that are not like super keen on jumping, and I know minimal amount jumping, but I do know that particularly when we're doing uh, not uh, what are the what are those parachutes called the ram air yeah parachute. ram air. yeah so basically in order for you to stay afloat if you will you need speed so you have to be moving it's not like a like a balloon that just like sits and it's inflated like I have to be moving in a direction to keep air in the parachute. Yeah, it's so an inflatable when, wing. Yeah, so when he says dead air, that means basically there's no air going through the parachute, at which point yeah. I cannot stay yeah. floating anymore. I was deforming it. I was I was moving forward, and I was probably moving forward at the same speed as the air, and it was just collapsing it even more. It was Got just it. sniveling up on the left side. and then. So this fall happens, and then... So, we're, so to your best recollection, this is a 300-foot fall. Out yeah. of the sky. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be real honest. It's probably better that you don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I don't. Um, I'm glad I don't remember the impact. Um, I, I think I have weird hallucination memories of being on the ground. Um, I remember fighting back something, and I think it was the six or seven guys trying to hold me still and keep me from hurting myself even more. So, yeah, because you've told me this story before, and I want you to tell it here, too, okay. if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. Which is, so, nobody really sees this, right? No, no, uh, nobody actually saw my crash. Nobody was watching my landing. Um, they're inside the hangar, and all they, 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 I don't know if they heard it or if they felt it. Um, pretty sure they felt it in the ground, like, my 169-pound body yeah. slamming into the earth at, um, best guess, 85 miles an hour. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so they, they feel this. They're like, all right, something just hit the ground. What was that? Who was that? And they yeah. start walking outside. Uh, and they see me attempting to stand up and gather up my parachute like nothing's wrong and everything's fine. And that I didn't just slam into the earth at Mach 1. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, the, I mean, that's kind of a testament to the whole adrenaline piece. Yeah, where, exactly, absolutely. So, so, and we'll talk about this a little bit. So the, just to give people a little bit of context as to 
why that part of the story is astonishing. Just walk us through the injuries sustained on this crash because yeah. this is extensive yeah. and and about as severe as it gets. Yeah. So uh, I broke my right tibia. I broke my left tibia and my left fibula. Um, I had a syndesmosis fracture, which is where the tib and the fib split down over the ankle bone. Um, they're no longer connected to each other. Um, I broke my femur uh, in half. I broke my pelvis in two places, at the front, at the pubis symphysis where it meets uh, right at the pubic bone. And then I broke my sacrum, which is part of the pelvis. It's uh, between your L5 and your tailbone. Uh, if you've ever done sit-ups on concrete, you've rolled across it and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and I also broke uh, my L5 transverse process. Um, my kidney was torn from my aorta on the left side. Uh, my right kidney was heavily lacerated as it was moving around inside my body at super speeds. Um, my aorta had a pseudoaneurysm, so the inner layer ballooned out of the outer and middle layers. Um, the only reason I didn't burst and I didn't die on the field is that I had a small tear in that uh baseball size uh, part of my aorta that was slowly bleeding off pressure into my chest. So it didn't explode, basically. Right, yeah. Thankfully, I didn't. If I'd had an aorta rupture, I probably wouldn't have made it to the hospital. I would have died in flight. They just, they wouldn't have been able to say it. There's nothing they could have done. But, thankfully, that didn't happen. I was slowly bleeding into my own chest cavity. Um, And because I was uh, bleeding out internally, they were hunting for it, and I was going into cardiac arrest. I ended up going to cardiac arrest three different times. Um... One of which, uh, somebody performed five minutes of CPR. And, uh, and if you're listening, please reach out to me and let me know that was you. Um, I yeah. would like to thank you. I'd like to buy you dinner. Yeah. Because um, that's five of minutes scotch. of your life that I really appreciate you devoted to me. Um, in addition to that, I fractured my skull uh, where the C1 meets at the occipital condyle. Um, ended up having a severe TBI, uh, which resulted in some blind spots, um, some memory loss, and then, you know. Do you still have those blind spots? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, unfortunately, those were not uh, damages to my eyeballs. They were damages to the uh, optic nerves as they pass through the super, super small holes inside my skull from mm-hmm. where they connect to the brain. So it was just everything was moving around inside my body more than it was supposed to. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a washing machine. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. That's not balanced. In. <laughs> but and, and super janky. So with all of that being said, I'm, I'm attempting to basically stand up and not attempting you are standing <laughs> up at this point yeah which is incredible probably not good but it's incredible no, i was probably falling over myself and yeah okay so uh how do you know how long from impact to hospital um i know it was within an hour that's a long time it is a long time um because suffolk's not really close to anything no it's not uh thankfully um I don't know if it was Chesapeake Fire Department or Suffolk Fire Department. Whoever was close came out, um, and they started getting me on a stretcher, on a backboard, and getting me ready because they knew Nightingale was on their way. Yeah. Um, Nightingale's the life life service around here. Um, And that helo landed on the DZ. They got me right in the bird, and the bird took off immediately and got me to Norfolk Sentara. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, the the level one trauma zone, Norfolk Sentara. Got it. So... From here, I mean, there's obviously immediate emergency surgeries that are happening. And then, what did you tell me? How many surgeries in total? I've had 18 total. Okay. Um, I think 11 of which were in that first week. Yeah. Um, So, and then, you were in a coma too, right? 
Uh, or like a pseudocoma? Pseudocoma. Um, it wasn't through... If that's a thing. Through, I might yeah, have just made if, that up. I don't know. You might have. I might have, too. I might have been supporting that. Um, no, so it wasn't that my brain injury was keeping me in a coma. Um, I think it was that they were moving me from surgery to surgery to surgery so often that they just kept me slightly sedated or heavily sedated. Um, and they, they were waking me up periodically to make sure that like I was still having brain function and I could still breathe. And, yeah. Um, you know, my dad tells a story of remembering them waking me up and I still have the tube down my throat to breathe and they can't take it out. They have to keep it in. So I'm, I'm intubated, intubated yep. breathing through this tube, trying to not gag and throw up mm-hmm. and like rip it out and just being in that. I can't even describe just how in a cloud of just yeah. like what is happening and just panic and waking up and realizing that you're in the matrix, but not really yeah, and in the staring matrix. up at a light after being asleep and like, can't make out any faces and not yeah. knowing what's going on. Yeah, exactly. But. So all, all, this all in and of itself is a miracle. I mean, like I really can't imagine like how, to, uh, how else to describe it other than like something so catastrophic with so many severe injuries and like, just you surviving oh yeah yeah in and of itself is is amazing but then you know so let's talk a little bit about that kind of like road to recovery and then kind of get us to where we are now because that was not a a short process (laughs) no not at all um so with the i had an external pelvic fixator i had an external femur fixator um, two boots so on. for people who don't know what that is, kind of explain that. If, so do you give them a picture visually so, of what that uh, looks like? So my femur snapped in half right in the middle. Um, they took two screws into the top piece, two screws into the bottom piece that stuck out of my skin that they bolted to a titanium or fiberglass rod that sat next to my leg um, and basically kept the break apart by a little bit um, until they could finally go in. And they did the uh, femur fixation and the pelvic fixation just to get all the bones stable so that they could go and find where I was bleeding inside. It took them, I think, a day or a day and a half to actually find the aorta burst. Uh, Once they fixed that and I was stable-ish, more stable than I was before, that's when they were like, okay, now we can do the orthopedic surgery. So uh, that's when they moved my kneecap out of the way, drilled into my femur lengthwise, place the rod inside of it, screws in the bottom, screws in the top to hold that rod to the bone. So were, were you in the conversation we were talking about yesterday about orthopedic surgery? Yeah, I was having that conversation with you yeah. about how aggressive if it you is. Have <laughs> not, if you have not seen video of an orthopedic surgery, yeah. just consider yourself lucky. Yeah. Don't don't go watch it. Yeah. It, is a, it is a traumatic event to watch. Absolutely. Um, it's, a, it's sterile trauma. That's that's really all it is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's essentially like, manual labor out on a farm yeah. like you like like it, imagine driving by a bunch of guys with jackhammers and sledgehammers like <laughs> it's that yeah. in a in a clean operating yeah. room they're, where just, they're just they're just dewalts that have been autoclaved that's yeah. all it is like they have dewalt drills like dude it's crazy <laughs> i know it's insane all right um, so let's talk about a little bit about how long is that rec- what does that recovery look like what are we talking about in months or years um let's see so once i got the rod in my femur and uh, they elected to not do the bracing surgery on my pelvis. Um, they left it to just heal on its own, which was fine by me um, afterwards. It was just three months I had to deal with this uh, A-frame in my lap that was basically a tuning fork for the most severe pain in my life. Basically, if I bumped that thing into a table, like I was at a 9 or 10 out of pain 
right away immediately for at least 20 minutes. Just, oh, just that's terrible. That, cause and then rough. from this point, how long is it before you walk again? Uh, let's see. So they had me on a walker. Um, and, you know, like belts on, and they're supporting me and taking some of the weight off my legs. Um, within within three weeks, they had me standing and, and moving around again because um, it's come a long way. Um, and orthopedic injuries, they know it. Um, they're realizing, like, hey, we, we need to get patients up out of the bed yeah. sooner rather than later. Um, you know, two weeks of bed rest doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't help with bone density. Nope. And speaking of that um, – my, I had super high bone density because of what I was doing, lifting, working out, and these high weightlifting. Yeah, absolutely. So I had all this extra calcium that my body was now putting into my bloodstream, and that ended up making me sick for about two weeks before they finally figured out what it was. And for those people that are against the weightlifting, you can find this in basically any any anatomy or physiology book, which is Wolf's Law, which is the law that states that. Bones will adapt to the forces placed on them. So Absolutely. if you want dense bones, you got to lift heavy stuff, and or that's why. Hockey. Yeah, or do that. <laughs> and fracture everything in your body once yeah. a week. And that's why it is beneficial for people as we age to continue to lift weights so that our bones don't get brittle. That's why people become brittle is because they stop stressing. adding, they stop stressing the bone, and yep. they lose that bone density. But okay, so. So again, the benefits of doing this beforehand, and, and I talk about this a lot on the weekends when we're doing the you know the sickness wellness fitness continuum, and we're talking about it's not just about being healthy; it's about that hedge against sickness. And you had a hedge oh, yeah. against this catastrophic event. I did. I had a huge one. And that, I don't know if we could say like there's probably a lot of luck involved here, but I, sure. I think I think we would be remiss to to negate or leave out the part of like, hey, being fit can help you survive absolutely you um know? as far as the peg was moved towards fitness when i hit the ground and then came back i ended up somewhere between sickness and wellness not even on sick probably sickness. yeah yeah so i mean uh you know I, I was bedridden for for what it's worth but um but not due to life choices right so this no, is due no. to catastrophic unavoidable uncontrollable yeah. scenarios yeah. that you just have to deal with absolutely um so which the, is the unknown and unknowable that we talk about in crossfit all the time absolutely yeah <laughs> Um, so one of the, one of the weird small things that I noticed early on was I didn't have a lot of upper body injuries because, you know, my feet hit the ground first and they took most of the uh, impact. Um, so they ended up setting me up with a bed frame that was fully adjustable and had like the over, uh, the over frame so that I could pick myself up, pull myself up. And I was a big part of getting myself to and from the wheelchair in and out of the bed multiple times a day. Um, because of that, I was basically doing a, a pull up. And yeah. pull up in a hold and a pull up in a swing away from my arms. Like, so I was starting to do stuff just in the bed. And, you know, if, uh, if I was angry or upset or something, I would just do a couple pull-ups and I like it. Try and hold my left leg up. So I wasn't put weight on it, but. You know, and this kind of goes something. back to my whole, I, I tell everybody this all the time is just like, Hey, in times of stress, like you need exercise. Like that's, it's not the thing you should cut out. Right. Absolutely. It's the thing that you should keep probably above all else. Yeah. Um, Agreed. So you're starting this recovery process. And, and so this is kind of uh, this part of the story is kind of what bleeds over into where you are now and where you want to go, which is you start interacting with physical therapists yeah, at this uh, point, right? Because they're like, we have to get you back to being a functional human being. PTAs, kinesiotherapists, basically everybody who's interested in helping me move my body better and move it more often. And 
do more than just sit there and just lay there and give up. Um, and, you know, there were days that were worse than others, and I, I, I'm not going to say that wasn't it. But, you know, on the good days, um, I got a lot done. Um, and a lot of that is because of the docs I had and the PTs I had. Um, I had a uh, – the doc who ran the wing at Polytrauma, uh, Dr. Pai, uh, he is a physiatrist. What is that? So that's the um, – Physiatrist. Physiatrist. I, uh, I apologize if I'm going to mess this up, if anybody listening. It's okay. Um, Everything that we say on this <laughs> podcast is factually correct. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's the application of uh, – physical therapy and kinesiotherapy and occupational therapy uh, as a bigger part of the recovery than just rest and sleep and then you know Got uh, it. it's it's a it's a bigger piece of the puzzle um, for physiatry than uh, orthopedic surgeons would let on uh, okay so and this is the part that I think is is important for those people who are kind of on the fence about CrossFit because they're like, I can't do CrossFit. So whether you fall into the category of uh, you just lead an overall sedentary life or that looks a lot like somebody who's coming back from a catastrophic injury. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, if, we were, if we were to kind of put a, a big group of people into a bucket, which is like, starting from square one it yeah. kind of looks the same yeah, obviously you're dealing with different limitations sure. but it wouldn't be unreasonable to put people in that bucket so no, talk talk a little bit about like what that's like you know mentally and then how that's relevant for people because re i want people to take away from this like hey this this stuff is scalable like you can do it if you don't think it's possible yeah. because it's not snatches and muscle ups every day right um the carrot on the end of the stick for me was getting back to EOD, getting back to active service and going and deploying again, basically. Um, and if I had, if the carrot on the end of the stick had been going and competing in the CrossFit Games, that would have been probably – that's still really not even a goal of mine. Yeah. And, and that's okay. Um, but I think that would have been too much to shoot for. It would have been too far of a target. Um, and even then, uh, I fell short of that goal of going back to active service. But because I was shooting for that and I fell a little short, I'm, I'm still in great shape and I'm, I'm getting back to where I was before. And you know, I, I mean, if we're going to talk about basic functionality, I know just some of the numbers you've hit lately, which is – and this is – again, this, I think context is important here. Going from 18 surgeries, broken femur, like a whole – heart attack, a bunch of different stuff to, didn't you just PR your deadlift? No belt recently? Yeah. Like, yeah. Double overhand grip by five pounds. Lifestyle over, PR. Over, over 400, right? Yeah. 410. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if that, and again, if, it, so some people are like, oh, he was working out before and I'm like, but you have to remember, this is somebody who basically had all that stripped away due to yeah. catastrophic injury and had to start back from square one, which is where a lot of people are starting from. And you didn't just go over there and pick up 410. No, no, no. There was a – that's – that was a year – that was two years in the making. Yeah. Hands down. Um, so I did physical – after getting out of the hospital, I did physical therapy two to three times a week for almost two years um, before my PT, who is my old teammate's wife, said, hey, I think you're ready to start going into the gym again. Um, so two years before you get back to the gym. 
Yeah, before I'm like cut loose to like, yeah, yeah, all, right, yeah. all right, you're on your own now. Go, go and We move. trust you enough to train yourself yeah, absolutely. at this point. Because before that, I was not moving well enough to be cut loose with a barbell or on a machine or even with a dumbbell. So <laughs> and I for some people, closely monitored. And for, for some people, that that's probably a similar time frame, depending on like yeah. when they come into the gym. I mean, if absolutely. you come into the gym and you're 150 to 200 pounds overweight, like yeah. it's going to be two years. Absolutely. Like... But you can do it, yeah. Like Jake did. I mean, like that. That's a. I I think there's a misconception about how long it takes to get out of something like that. You oh, know, yeah. whether it's chronic disease or whether it's catastrophic injury, like it takes a it takes a long time. Yeah. And consistency is key. Yeah. Um. So like I, you know, the big goal being come back to active service, but I had to break that up into small goals. So. You know, when I when I was told by an orthopedic surgeon that I'd be lucky if I walked again, then there was no way I was going to run again. So, two years to the day after my accident, I ran a 5K, and I stopped one time, passed the halfway point to stretch quitter. my calves. You quitter. I know. I know. <laughs> I was so disappointed at the end, though. <laughs> I was like, I was so close. <laughs> no, but uh, so six months before that was the first time I'd run. And I'm on a treadmill, and I have video of this, and I showed it to my mom. Um, it was right before her birthday, and uh, it's it's the ugliest run in the world. It's this big limp with my left leg. Like I have no strength push off with the calf, so I'm just whipping the left leg forward just to get it on the treadmill to let it let the treadmill pull the leg back. Um, and it became the walk to run program, and it was you know walk for 30 seconds, run for 10 seconds. And then it had to progress from there and it just kept getting better and better, but only because I was going and doing it and, and putting in the effort. Um, and then. But talk a little bit about that effort, right? So not comparing yourself to like, to the best athlete in the gym. It's just like those small goals, right? Because if you do that, you set yourself up for failure. Yeah. If, if you're, absolutely. if you're constantly overreaching. Yeah from a goal setting standpoint it can be catastrophic to your psyche oh yeah so when i when i first started back doing crossfit and i was doing it on my own for about a month before i walked in the gym and met you and cassidy on my first day um i'd been doing it consistently and just just trying to move move lightweight um and during that month just going by myself to to pier side um i'd i'd realize something like I realized I was never going to hit another PR. Like, I was not going to have a lifetime PR. And that, so you thought. And that was okay. And I, I'd, I'd made that up in my head that, like, hey, I'm just going to come in, and I'm just going to try and be in a little bit better shape than I was the day before. And then hopefully try and build up some of that sickness, wellness, push into the fitness if I can, and just move fast, move well, and kind of try to push that hedge that line a little bit so that if anything did ever happen again, that I was going to be okay. And I was glad that I did that because after a year of doing CrossFit here at Rife, um, I had the surgery on my ankle and bouncing back from that was again, it was a big setback. And I had multiple times after that in the six months post-surgery that I had to go get my ankle adjusted and get stuff put back in the right place because I didn't have the stability and the strength there anymore. And I was trying to move like I did and you know, I had to learn from that. And, and what was what were some of the things that you learned, you know, like, and l- so let's talk a little bit kind of like misconceptions about CrossFit. So when you come in and you're training here at the box, yeah, talk about some of the things that some of the coaching staff did with you when, as far as like scaling and stuff like that. 
Oh, um, let's see. So I don't have pistols anymore, at least not on the flat ground. Um, and I, I'd kind of written off pistols, honestly, because um, I didn't know a better way to scale them than grab onto a band from a pull-up bar and come down and do a one-legged squat. Um, I don't know if it was you or Cass or who, but they said, hey, grab a box, stand on the box, and do a pistol, and let your legs swing down next to it, and all of a sudden I could do pistols again. And now I'm getting that stimulus, now I'm getting that workout, and I don't feel as removed from the group. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm the only one doing the banded portion of a, you know, a pistol and yeah. like, mine looks way worse than everybody else's because I'm having to lay way back and because that's, you know, hip flexibility, ankle flexibility that I just, I lost. I, I'm still working to get it back. And and I think that's, that's important for people to understand is that there, you can scale anything like regardless yeah. of the injury. Like, Absolutely. I mean, I've done seminars with guys with, you know, prosthetic legs, like no arm like i mean all just crazy stuff yeah. and you can and you can scale it and you can make it appropriate for the person regardless of where they're at yeah like so no you know if you're if you're like on the fence about coming in to do crossfit if the if if you walk into the gym and they're like hey you need to do you know this much weight yeah. i you know my recommendation is you need to turn around walk out the door and go find yeah. another gym where yeah. that's not the concern right because it shouldn't be, be. No, the, it shouldn't the be. concern should be movement because that's really what we're training for yeah and that's kind of how we approached things with you which was hey we're just going to move well if we move well we will start checking the boxes of the things that we're trying to regain yeah over time and you know through things like wadify i can look back and over the two years the last two years that i've been at rife i can watch my my lifts get slowly better and better and better and better and i i feel like i'm moving terribly but um i'm getting told pretty it's regularly better. That, that i'm moving pretty well yeah, so i mean <laughs> it, it looks significantly better we'll try to get you sponsorship from wadify for that <laughs> shout out the, uh, but yeah and i think that's the goal it's just we're trying to get incremental improvements yeah over time and it's just it's a little bit better every day and that's that's the attempt. And some days I come in, and if I work out and I don't do as well as I thought I was, or I regress on a lift, like it just wasn't my day. That's okay. I'm gonna come back tomorrow. Yeah, you can choose. You can choose your your battles there. Where it doesn't have to be a PR where I can get better at one aspect of that. Yeah. You know, that one percent is really yeah. what we're looking for every like, day. No, I, I didn't PR today, but I came to the gym, and being in the gym is way better than being in the hospital. Showed up. Showed up. <laughs> now. So all of this kind of led you, you kind of, you just finished the intern process here at the gym. Yep. Uh, this Grueling. August was your first month yeah. on the, on the schedule coaching classes, yep. but talk a little bit about, cause I always think it's interesting people's background, like what got them into coaching and, and what are those life experiences that lend themselves to becoming or, or getting into that the realm of coaching or fitness and, and, and doing that as a profession. Um, so obviously for you, as far as I can tell, like, you know, that injury is kind of what led you here because oh, yeah. of your process of recovery and like why you want to do this now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really hadn't given coaching, uh, a thought really honestly before my accident. Um, or physical therapy or, or anything in that world. Um, I hadn't really given it a thought. I hadn't really um, thought that was for me. Because um, I was going to try and do 20 as an UD tech and then retire and do something probably related to that after I yeah. got out. But uh, no, so um, life dealt me a new hand. And um, I started, I obviously spent a lot of time with physical therapists and PTAs. 
and just listening to the the banter back and forth between other PTs and their their patients and like, like this is this is very much the world I want to be in. PTs are sick people. They are. <laughs> <laughs> They're sick, demented people. <laughs> and I and I hope to to call myself one of them one day. But uh, yeah, so yeah. talk about like so what what's next, right? So you're you've have you applied yet? No, um, I was trying to get my, hold of my high school transcripts over the summer, uh, but my high school is closed because you know it's. Key West, um, so everything closes from after happy hour and then before happy hour. And if it's the summer, forget about it. Basically, all the time. So I'll call during the fall semester, uh, which is about now. Uh, get my transcripts, get my community college transcripts. Um, basically, put my package together, walk into ODU, and say, "How do I do this?" And then see what they say. So the goal is you kind of want to take all of this experience, both from your from the injury and what you learned, and you know you kind of have an affinity now for physical therapy because of what they did for you. Yeah. And then now you know coming into CrossFit, you kind of have that same affinity for CrossFit for what it gave you and then what it gave you back. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're being able to give back to people, not necessarily in the physical therapy world, but I would willing to bet that this is going to be pretty damn beneficial to you when you do go back into the phys almost almost more so than people who are going directly into physical therapy because i think there's a difference between what the book says and then how movement actually happens in real life yeah when, when you've actually thousands seen what of a movements. squat looks like you're yeah. like oh like this is this is what we're looking for a flat yeah. back with a lumbar curve all of the lift occurs in the legs hands between the legs that's it. Yeah. That's a deadlift. And that's a box deadlift. That's a barbell deadlift. And, you know, trying to teach that to somebody and then have them go and teach it to a patient. If they've never been a coach or had to teach it before, they have no experience in that. They don't know how to cue it mm -hmm. for, you know, all or maybe even what it should look like. That's and this is not a, and this is not a bag on, on PTs, no, but there, I, again, there's, there's a difference between coaching athletes every day yep. a wide variety of athletes is what you're going to see in a, in a in a really good crossfit gym yeah and understanding how to get people in the best positions possible versus looking at a book yeah right and i think somebody who has a coaching background then goes into pt is probably at a pretty big advantage versus somebody who's just going into pt and then is going to go get the practical experience yeah. that route I, um, I have to agree with you um especially just thinking about shooting for that a little bit better just everybody who comes in the gym just help them move a little bit better and that's what it is with patients in pt like i know that i was not moving perfect every time i went there but the attempt to move a little bit better than the last time was always there and that is something that occurs in in both worlds i think 100 percent. yeah yeah it's uh there's a lot of carryover from doing a crossfit workout into real life there's yeah. just some like weird little life lessons that you learn yeah. there <laughs> um cool man well anyway i want to be respectful of your time yeah, uh, absolutely. again guys if you have not seen jake's video go check it out on our facebook page on our youtube channel uh it's pretty incredible by the way i went and looked at that last week and i think we i think it was something to the tune of like two million reach and like six hundred thousand views people Jeez. watched that video yeah. it's pretty cool it's inspiring that so awesome. um Dude, keep doing what you're doing. Oh, Happy to have you here, man. Um, any last thing that you would want to tell somebody who's just kind of either going through an injury or kind of on the fence about about doing CrossFit because they're just not sure that they can do it? Coming from somebody who's been in that scenario. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
CrossFit is for everybody. Um, I, I want to eventually be able to work with people who are uh, amputees or stuck in a wheelchair. The, the adaptive athlete program that CrossFit uh, has just been – I think they just started the uh, seminar for Seminars, that, right? yeah. Kevin Ogar runs that, yeah. him and a couple other guys. I'm extremely interested in that, um, and I'd love for us to be able to – brings people in like that especially as clients here but um if you don't think crossfit's for you you're wrong it is it's for everybody um regardless of uh the shape you're in limitations what you've got going on medical wise um or any limitations from the doctor like everything can be changed in such a way to fit those parameters and then we can push that line and get back with the doctors and say hey can we change this up a little bit for the most part they're going to say yeah you're progressing you're getting healthier let's let's help you along the path so awesome all right, guys, uh, if you like this stuff, you know, please go give us a review. Follow us on social media platform, CrossFit Rifle on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, and if you, where can people find you, dude, if uh, you want to give out your stuff? I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Instagram, uh, JakeB521 on Instagram. Um, Facebook is just Jake Brown. But uh, I'm out there and showing some stuff off here and there but for the yeah. most part it's just me and my dog on, on Instagram so I mean it's a good looking <laughs> dog. dog oh yeah alright guys thanks for tuning in appreciate you listening and uh, if you have recommendations for people you want to hear on the podcast go ahead and send them on over you can send that stuff to cs at crossfitrife.com and we are more than happy to tell those stories and we will see you next time thanks awesome thanks friend appreciate thanks, it thanks bro yeah